Hey there, this is Daniel. Thanks for listening to DIY Money. Now, if you haven't already, be sure to give us a five-star review so your friends know that this is a show that they can learn from. Check out our blog at DIYMoney.org. That's DIYMoney.org. Now, enjoy this episode. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to DIY Money with your host, Quintetro. And Daniel Zolno. Uh, welcome back, Daniel. Thanks. DIY Money blowing up. Blowing up. Blowing up. Good way. Blowing up. Blowing up in a good way. Gotcha. That's right. Uh, DIY Money, whatever you are listening to us on, we do appreciate it for sure. Uh, we would appreciate you giving us a review, hitting up that five stars. We got to find a way that they do those pop-ups. When I listen to pop podcasts or something, it's like I'm leaving and they're like, oh, give us a review. I got to figure out how to do that. When anyway, you're leaving? When I'm switching out of the, or maybe that's just an app. Whatever. Makes a difference. It's an app. It's an app. Okay. So maybe it's not for podcasts, but give us a review. <laughs> Uh, so as Daniel says at the top of the show, your friends can learn from. I like that. Uh, it's a good show. I'm hearing great feedback. And if you have feedback, good, positive, negative, whatever, just let us know. We'd, we'd also be open to that. Um, all right. This week, Daniel, let's talk. I think it's important, a subject matter that is interesting to me. It's one of the reasons I'm in the business that I'm in. Let's talk about kids. That's why you're in the business, Martin, because of kids. <laughs> Yes and no. <laughs> uh, I probably need to allude a little bit more. Uh, kids and money. So when I was 12 years old, I was given stock in McDonald's. And at the time, uh, when they sent the annual report, they sent a coupon for a free hamburger. Now, understand McDonald's at that time, we're talking about 19, early 80s. So probably 1984, 85. Um, there was not a McDonald's on every single corner. Our town had one right across the street from the Burger King, which was interesting, and the Ponderosa, which was gross. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, it was uh, McDonald's, and it was a big deal. It was, it was, uh, you know, we didn't think too much about how they made the burgers, and maybe they made them differently at the time. I don't know. Um, but nonetheless, when we had a special event at school, or it was kind of one of these things where, oh, dad's out of town. You know, it's just us. Let's let's go into town and get a happy meal. I mean, that was a big deal. It was a lot of fun. In fact, I told my kids just the other day as we were sitting in a movie that when I was a child, I vividly remember my mother and I, I, I don't even want to say sneaking because I think it was okay at the time, but we took in our bags of McDonald's into the movie theater and, and watched a movie and ate ate our Happy Meal, and it was awesome. I loved it. Great memories there. Uh, I was given stock, and the minute I was given stock, I really understood and took it very seriously that I was an owner of McDonald's. And I probably need to give a lot of credit, no idea who this person was at all, but the manager of our local McDonald's, because when I would go into the McDonald's, I would march right up to the front. I would ask to speak with the manager. And then I would ask him about business. I, well, I would promptly inform him I'm a shareholder. And then I would ask him how business is going and what's, you know, how, what's selling. I mean, I, I was so curious about the business and what it was doing. And I, it was amazing. And again, it all had to do with the fact that I owned stock in the company. Now, 
this doesn't, you know, buying a couple of shares for your kids is not going to mean they're going to go into the investment business and, you know, love, love the stock market because my sister, who is six years the older, got stock as well. She got stock in, in companies along the way as we were growing up. I remember having some shares in the Boston Celtics when they were public. That was really cool. Had some shares of Wendy's. Um, we had some some uh, utility companies. And again, this was not maybe one share, two shares. I know exactly what my father was doing, just trying to get us interested in the markets. But she could have cared less. I mean, she, uh, that's not, I always say that. She could care less. She did not aspire to be anything in the investment world. So it was it was big uh, for me to plant the seeds. And I think it is a huge, huge thing for parents of children to consider when you are setting up your investment accounts for yourself, et cetera, is to, is to do something um, for your kids. So let's talk a little bit about how to set that up, why, um, and what, what parents should be thinking about when they're investing for their children. Certainly. So probably the most common way that you would invest for your children is via a custodial account. And so this is an account where, uh, for all intents and purposes, it really is an account for the kids. It's in the name of the kids, but a uh, custodian oversees it. So most often the parents or one of the parents, uh, and then that parent would name the other parent as a successor custodian. But the custodian manages the account as an adult for the minor, but it is, in fact, the minor's account. And in that account, you can buy uh, pretty much any security that you could buy in an individual investment account. So things like mutual funds, uh, stocks, um, pretty much anything else. What, what else? I, well, I was going to say bonds. Bonds. There you go. Yeah, I knew there was something else out there. Um, but you can pretty much invest in anything there, and you could basically start creating a portfolio for your child. You could have them involved in that. When they get old enough, you can talk them through it. They could read annual reports. They can make decisions. You just have to be the one that is basically legally accountable for that until they uh, reach the uh, age of majority for your state. So in, in most states, that's going to be around the age of 18, uh, that they would then inherit that account in its entirety. So... This is not a show giving personal recommendation or advice. I do encourage you to speak to an advisor, but I want to share with you what what we have done with our children and why. When I started in this business over 20 years ago, we were instructed that if you run into a couple that has children, you want to talk to them about a 529 plan. 529 is part of an IRS code. It was set up to allow folks to put money away for young people to give them uh, a tax-free method by which to save for higher education. All these words I'm using uh, specifically, higher education instead of just saying college, um, tax-free, not just tax-deferred, because if you use that money for higher education purposes in the future, you can withdraw and take that money out and you will not pay taxes on it, not only on the principal that you put in, but on the growth. And so when we started, when I started as an advisor or a broker, and, and again, you, you know, they instruct you, hey, you meet a couple, they got kids, 529 plan, 529 plan. Okay, so I was kind of brainwashed, 529 plan. And at the time, one of the best 529 plans was uh, through the state of Virginia. It was a state-sponsored plan. They still are. And the reason was is they had American funds. And American funds was a very good, still is, a very good family of funds, a mutual fund company. Um, but also, as an advisor, we could get paid. It would be very, 
very uh, clear. It was a it was a plan that that you could sell and you could make a commission. And so we were sort of brainwashed, you know, 529, mutual funds, American funds, and so forth. So you might be going, hey, I have one of those. Well, okay, <laughs> you might have been sold one of those by an advisor. And, and I'm not saying it's a negative thing, but I think you, you really have to know what you own. So fast forward uh, now 12 years. I mean, I would say I haven't done these in probably 15 years or more, but my oldest child is now 12. So when I had a kid uh, and it was time to start putting some money away, I knew Number one, that I did want him to have some stock ownership. And the caveat is in a 529 plan, they're state-sponsored, but they're also subject to mutual funds only. So I knew that even if I was going to do a 529 plan, I needed to do another account so that he could have some actual stocks, so that he could start to understand what stock ownership is, get the annual reports, etc., uh, so I knew that at minimum I was going to set up another account. But as I started exploring it further, I realized that what if my child, who is at the time negative, right? He was one, zero, whatever. He wasn't even one yet. He was a few months old. What if he doesn't want to go to college? I mean, I'm a fan of higher education, but what if he doesn't want to do that? What if he wants to go in the military? What if, and this is probably more likely, of course, when I when he was four months old, uh, he's brilliant and he will get a full academic scholarship. Or this might be even more prob- probably or more realistic. He's an exceptional athlete. And so you know, colleges are going to be throwing scholarship dollars. Okay, I'm joking. But my point is, is that what if I went down this road and put a tremendous amount of money over time in a 529 plan? And he didn't need it. It wasn't necessary for whatever reason. Well, someone would say to you, well, then you can change beneficiaries. You can give it to, you know, your second son or your third son. Well, I had one. I didn't know if I was going to have two or three. Now I have three. Okay. But the more I started researching and, and diving in, the more turned off I became by the prospects of simply putting money in a 529 plan to, to earmark specifically for college. And I then looked at an educational savings account, which has a little bit more flexibility. You can use it for, uh, at the time, and some of these laws have been changed since then, but at the time, that was the only account you could use for uh, educational expenses prior to higher education. So you could use for private school, elementary, et cetera. And so that was a little bit more appealing. But at the end of the day, I decided to simply open a custodial account in his name and in his name alone. And obviously, I'm the custodian, or my wife and I are the custodian, so we have sort of technical ownership of it until he's 18. But my objective is to be putting money away in there. I have kind of a dual investment strategy. I have about half of it going into index funds, low-cost, total market index funds. And then the other half, I have uh, diversified among some specific individual companies that not only do I think have high prospects for growth, or maybe they have uh, good dividends and, and you know I'm putting those on sort of reinvestment and compounding, but they also have subject matter by which my son finds it interesting to own those companies. So for example, not a recommendation, but he owns some Tesla. All, all three of my kids own some Tesla. Well, why do we own some Tesla? Well, it's been a decent investment. We've owned it for a very long time, but... When a Tesla goes down the road, do you notice it? Yeah, you really do. Do your kids notice it? Probably. 
it's pretty cool subject matter. But it's pretty neat to be able to look at my sons and go, you own some of that company. And sure enough, each one of them says, what? We own some Tesla? Yeah. Now, take it a step further. What I should have done is listen to them when they told me to go out and buy some Nintendo stock at like six bucks a share. Well, that that would have been bad. That was a big mistake. Or uh, some of the others that have done exceptionally well that they've you know sort of become a fan of. But what's happening is my kids are now starting to not just look at the brands and the businesses that are being marketed to them, but they're starting to think about it from the standpoint of a business. Okay, they're... I remember when my kid came to me and said, Dad, who owns Nerf? And I said, uh, I think it's Hasbro, but why? He goes, because they're everywhere, and everybody wants to play Nerf guns now. And I just got to thinking that if, if, you know, if a company owns Nerf, maybe that's a good company to invest in. Done. Mic drop. My job is done. If he's starting to think that way now at 10, and he's 12 now, but this was about at 10 years old, that's the, that's the mindset that I was hoping to infuse through this methodology. Now, couple the fact that, that my goal is to have an account for each of them that is a substantial amount by the time that they are 18. It's my job to educate them about it because it becomes theirs at 18. But then they have the flexibility to use that for college if they want. If they choose not to go to college or they do happen to get a scholarship, they can use it for a down payment on a home. They can use it for whatever, whatever they, they want to. Now, I do run the risk. I run the risk of at 18, they use it to go find themselves and travel the world. Maybe that's not such a bad thing. But the point is, it does become theirs. And so I do run the risk of having uh, an, an irresponsible uh, young adult making an irrational financial decision. But that's a risk that I'm willing to take as a parent and trying to educate them about financials. Now, there is a, a couple of caveats, and I think it's important to mention. Unlike the 529 that has zero tax consequences at all, there are some tax consequences regarding a custodial account. Uh, and there is, if you misstep, could be a potential uh, big tax consequence. So, Daniel, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about that? and how best they can manage that tax. Uh, so for the custodial accounts, uh, you do want to have your CPA or your tax advisor look at your individual tax situation because it's going to revolve a lot around the unearned income that your child produces or the passive income that your child produces out of that account. Because if it goes above a certain threshold, that amount is going to stop being taxed at the child's tax rate. And it's going to start being taxed at you, the parent's highest tax bracket. And so that can be uh, start to be complicated because you can lose a lot of the beneficial elements of having investments in your child's name versus uh, potentially having them in your name and, and getting the better sort of capital gains and dividend tax preferred rates and so forth. Or tax sheltering those in an educational account if that's really what you're doing for them. So that doesn't mean that that's a, a bad route to go. It does mean that based upon your individual tax situation, what tax bracket you're in and so forth, you may want to sort of understand how that is going to trickle down and affect you. Fortunately, that's going to be different for everybody. It's something that you have to have a conversation with with your individual tax advisor.
In my opinion, uh, and again, having three uh, kids who I've been putting some money away now for quite some time, it is something to be aware of. Uh, it's called the kitty tax, something to be aware of. Uh, but it is, in my opinion, easily manageable. It is easy to manage through that. And if you are uh, taking a long-term um, view of investments, dollar cost averaging into maybe your favorite investment uh, vehicles in index funds and digital equities, et cetera, you can manage to keep yourself out of trouble as long as you are aware of those rules. So as Daniel said, make sure you do talk to a tax advisor, a CPA, uh, regarding that so you know more about that situation. But again, I, I think the benefits, and in conclusion, I think the benefits are simple. Number one, as long as it's part of your budget, putting away for your children is a wise move. I think having a goal in mind is also wise. So you can say, by the time they're 18, we want to have X number of dollars available for them to use towards school, towards house, towards whatever. Uh, then work backwards. If that's the amount we want, you can jump on the web and pull up a financial calculator. And what you've already forecast is you forecast the future value. You then need to uh, calculate and put in the, the variables to figure out what the amount is you need to be putting in on a monthly basis. And build that into your budget. The last several episodes we've been talking about constructing a budget, paying yourself first, how to uh, you know, sort of save for things like Christmas vacation, et cetera. Build that into your budget. And so that every month you are putting that away, you have a systematic plan that you are putting that away for their benefit, going into those investment vehicles, et cetera. Now, the last thing I want to mention, and I'm going to not spend a tremendous amount of time on this, but we have our third child has some special needs. And so one of the big caveats, if you have a child that has some special needs, you want to make sure that by putting money in their name, you do not disqualify them from receiving future government benefits. So for example, there is, unless a miracle were to transpire, no question our youngest son will be eligible for Social Security benefits uh, once he is of age, once he is 18 years old. I don't want him to be disqualified by that benefit, putting a lot of money in his name. And so we have chosen a route adopting what is called an ABLE account, A-B-L-E. And if you are in Kentucky, um, you can go to able now dot com able dash now now dot com you can learn more and in that account you can put up to a hundred thousand dollars over over time of course or you know if you have the means drop it in there uh, it can be invested it can be used towards medical expenses with no tax and it does not count against them for their future benefits it is a great method by which to save for a child with special needs. And again, that's all I'll say on that. I encourage you, if you're from a different state, uh, simply Google ABLE uh, accounts, A-B-L-E, 
and you should have one for your individual state. And we are using the Kentucky able-now.com account that has been set up and we have been slowly for tax purposes transitioning his custodial account money over to this account uh, with a goal of having that all over there in the next couple of years. So if you have a kid with uh, or child with special needs, it's a little bit different, uh, but you can save for them in a strategic manner as well. Anything else to add, Daniel, before we wrap this up? Yeah, one quick addition. Uh, so while I was talking about the kitty tax, I did say the parents' tax brackets. Actually, the uh, with the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, that switched to the trust uh, tax bracket. So slight difference there. Still talk to your advisor. He can give you more information on that. But it's higher, right? I mean, uh, it's, it's higher for some families depending on situations and where you land on that bracket. But overall, for probably middle-income earners that we uh, are probably looking at this without doing trusts and so forth, yeah, it's generally higher. Okay. That's good. Good show. Yep. All right. We're going to wrap it up. Uh, Remember, friends, the secret to wealth is very simple. Spend less than you make, invest the rest, and do so for a very long time. Make it a great day. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Be sure to check out all that we have on the blog, DIYmoney.org. And if you haven't already, leave a review so your friends know that this is a show worth listening to. 